So she wrote to Jack, and Jack wrote back, and that started a pen friendship. And eventually in 1952, when she was looking for a British publisher for her famous book, uh, Smoke on the Mountain, she went over to England and met Jack and his brother Warnie, they became friends. When she came back to America, she discovered that her marriage to my father was virtually over. So they split up and zonk, off we went to England. That's Douglas Gresham talking about his mother, Joy Davidman, and his stepfather, Jack. You might know him as C.S. Lewis. Hi, I'm Charles Morris, and this is The Great Stories Podcast. It seemed as if C.S. Lewis was comfortable as a bachelor professor in Oxford, but then he met Joy. And if you've seen the movie Shadowlands, you know they eventually married. Joy had two boys that became Lewis's stepchildren. And in a moment, I want you to meet one of them, Douglas Gresham. He's a Christian. And I think you'll find the discussion we had back in 2005 fascinating. We spoke just as Disney was releasing The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in theaters around the world. If you want to get your own collector's set of the Chronicles of Narnia audio drama, you can make a gift to Haven Ministries to receive your copy when you visit haventoday.org. More on that at the end of this episode. For now, let's go back to our studios in 2005, where Douglas Gresham joined me in Riverside, California. Doug Gresham, I want to welcome you to Haven today, and thank you for joining us in studio. Well, thank you, Charles. It's a pleasure to be here. It's good to have you on because this is a very important movie that's coming out, and uh, you're an author yourself. We're going to be talking about uh, your book that just Mm -hmm. came out as well on the life of uh, C.S. Lewis. But why don't we just, uh, because we use C.S. Lewis's words a lot on this Christian radio program, and I think probably every preacher in America uses quotations. Wherever I go, I tend to hear him quoted, yeah. I'm sure, especially in the United States. Let's turn the clock back a little bit, though. Mm -hmm. When you were eight years old, you met him. Yes, I Uh, did. When you were 18 years old, he uh, died. But why don't you just tell our listeners how your life intersected with his life? Do you mean how it came about in the first place? That's right, yes. Well, you know, these things are all part of the huge tapestry that we find so difficult to see that the Lord weaves with all kinds of threads from all kinds of directions. But really, my mother, who was brought up in the Bronx by atheistic Jewish parents, was going through a time of her life when she was searching for truth. And a man who was an Episcopal priest by the name of Chad Walsh recommended she read the works of obscure, at that time, British writer called Mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis, Mm -hmm. which she did. And of course, she got uh, entranced and began to read Mere Christianity and had a few questions, which she addressed to Chad. And Chad, well, don't ask me. He said, write to the author, write to Lewis himself in England. I'm sure he'll answer your mail. (laughs) So she wrote to Jack and Jack wrote back and that started a pen friendship. Mm -hmm. And eventually in 1952, when she was looking for a British publisher for her famous book, uh, Smoke on the Mountain, Mm -hmm. she went over to England and met Jack and his brother Warnie. They became friends. When she came back to America, she discovered that her marriage to my father was virtually over. Mm -hmm. So they split up, and zonk, off we went to England. And this had been a tough childhood for you and your your brother as well. Well, Your your father uh, was was an alcoholic. Yeah, he was was an alcoholic, and he used to rage around the house and throw temper tantrums and so forth. But um, I, I suppose the toughest time of all really was just starting because... I was uprooted from upstate New York, mm-hmm. a very beautiful part of the world, mm-hmm. Yes, and taken to London, which is, to my way of thinking, a much less beautiful part of the world. And it wasn't too many years after World War II, and life it was, was still very, uh, pretty very, bleak yeah, there, It was a short it? time after World War II, and rationing was still in force, and there were bomb sites all over the place and so on. So, And I was sent off to boarding school, of course, which didn't help, but my whole life was just uprooted and turned upside down. 
okay. at that time. So that was that was that was fairly tough. And your mother then eventually married C.S. Lewis. Yeah, that's um, that's another story. And of course, the movie Shadowlands uh, was out a number of years ago, which some of our listeners may have. Uh, yeah, have it's, seen. It's, there's a long story there. We shouldn't really try to go into too much of it now. Or we'll be here all day because, as you say, <laughs> several books and several movies have been made about it. Yes, but uh, yeah, they they were eventually married when my mother was dying. Mm-hmm. I thought to be only going to live a few days. And uh, so I moved into the kilns, which was Jack's home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my life began to to slowly stabilize a bit because instead of dying, my mother went into remission. And she and Jack had the happiest Had a wonderful years. few years together they did. then, they didn't they? had a great time together. It didn't last anywhere near long enough, of course. Well, it must have lasted exactly the right time because it was in the Lord's hands. But it seems, looking back on it, it's somewhat unfair that they should have such a short time together. But in any case, if my mother was diagnosed with cancer when I was 10, which was two years after mm-hmm. I left America. Mm-hmm. And then she died when I was 14. And my father, back here in the States, committed suicide when I was 15 and a half. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Jack died when I was 18. So it was all a fairly traumatic time uh, of life. Uh, life was hard for you growing up, but it wasn't the easiest thing when you moved into the kilns either. No, that's very true. Um, but but the image that, uh, of Jack as the chap who had all the answers and never got anything wrong, of course, is very far from the truth. He was a man who was amazingly intelligent mm-hmm. and very well educated mm-hmm. so he did get a lot of the answers right mm-hmm. but within his own life and his own problems of course he had difficulties just like any other human being he was a man who was completely aware of his own sinfulness and yet at the same time equally aware of his salvation from it mm-hmm. and therefore was able to live a joyful life he was a man of great humor and compassion you couldn't be in a room with jack for more than five or ten minutes without roaring with laughter really well, full of fun all the time and well, and, and, and when you uh, married into the family, you also got a new uncle out of this as well, Yeah, my you? Uncle Warney, who was a great guy, uh, he also had an alcohol problem. Mm-hmm. He was a binge alcoholic, but he was a very different man when drunk from my father. My father used to get very angry and uh, very loud. Warney would get humorous and very salacious at times, mm-hmm. but, uh, and he would, but, but Warney would drink until he couldn't stand up or he fell down uh, when he was drinking. Most of the time he was sober. And but he would just, just suddenly pass go off. off when it suddenly, he would just yeah. drink until he dropped. I see, I see. Um, but he was a wonderful English gentleman of the finest kind when he was sober. And this, by the way, is a Christian radio program called Haven Today. <laughs> and we have with us in the studio Doug Gresham, who is the stepson of the late C.S. Lewis. And uh, the movie, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, is coming out this December. Disney's releasing it. And, uh, Doug, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You are a Christian. But we need to get on the table here the fact that the movie in itself is not a Christian movie. Well, the book was never intended to be a Christian book in the first place. Charles. It was just, it was a book that Jack wrote at a time when he and Tolkien had had a discussion, he and J.R.R. Tolkien, who Mm -hmm. wrote the the Lord of the Rings. And they had both decided that Christian literature was not being written the way they would have wanted to have read it when they were children. Mm -hmm. Children's literature was being written in ways they didn't want to read. They thought that uh, books that dealt with issues and things like that weren't suitable for children in the first place. They really felt that no one was writing the kinds of children's books that needed to be written. Mm-hmm. So they said, well, if nobody else is going to do it, we'd better do it ourselves. And, of course, Tolkien went off and wrote The Hobbit, and Jack went off and wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Right, yes. And um, so that was the beginning of it all. And Jack, it's amazing they were close friends. Of course, it's a small world in England. Well, in literature, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly small world in the, at the top end of literature. I mean, yes. there are always huge numbers of peripheral hangers-on and, 
and smaller writers, if you like, lesser writers, but the very top end of literary minds are a small number of people, even today. And the, the lives of Tolkien and, and Lewis were intertwined. I can remember my one trip to the kilns being told that uh, Tolkien helped uh, Lewis to clear the back around the little pond out back where he'd go <laughs> skinny dipping every morning. And I think Keats used to uh, write poetry there. And, and, and Shelley sounds, as well, yes. It, it sounds pretty idyllic, doesn't it? There's a, well, there's a huge amount of literary history to that place. Yes. But, um, yeah, Tolkien was Jack's best friend. And Tolkien, uh, together with Hugo Dyson and others, were among those who were instrumental in Jack becoming a Christian. We might as well explain, because I, I know... I read the whole Chronicles of Narnia to my three children, and my wife read mm. it to them once. And while, in fact, he did not write this children's series as a Christian series, in looking back on it later, he realized his Christianity was coming through in the series, you know, right? I, I think, Charles, that's completely inevitable. If you really do believe in something, and thinking about it and talking about it fills your, your every waking hour, and you are a writer, what you believe in will inform your writing. There's no way of avoiding mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. If you're a sea captain and all you think about is ships and the sea, when you write something, the essence of the ships and the sea will creep into your writing. You can't mm-hmm. help it. And that, I think, is exactly what happened with Jack. He asked himself a question, uh, thinking to himself, what really might it have been like if there really were a world in which the animals could speak and were the people, and they lived with the great mythological creatures of Greece and ancient mm-hmm. Rome and so forth, and they were all in harmony, and then somehow if evil had somehow gotten into that world and taken it over, how could God have saved that world? How might he have gone about saving that world like he saved this one? And his answer to that question was the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. It's a supposition. The lion figure. Yeah, it's a suppositional representation. It's not a Christian book. But then Jack himself said, we don't need more writers writing Christian books. We need more Christians writing Writing good good books. books. And that's the important thing. And we, we don't need more people making Christian movies either. Well, we need he, more Christians making good movies. Amen. Amen. There aren't very many of us in the business, quite frankly. That's true. That's true. Let me ask you, though, about Aslan, just a little more. Mm-hmm. And I, I must say I probably overdo it on Haven <laughs> Today myself in referring to Aslan sometimes. But in a sense, he was a Christ figure, even though he didn't start out to be that way. Some people look at it that way. Others don't. You've got to remember that the idea, the mythological idea of a God who dies for his people and then returns is to be found in ancient Hindu mythology, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Chinese mythology, and Norse mythology, and so on and so forth. It's, in fact, the the reason for that is quite simple, I think. It's because mythology, as we understand it, is man almost blindly groping out for God, trying to find the truths in, in what's around him, the glory of creation. The true myth, the Christian myth, of course, is simply God coming to man to explain it all. That's true. And on Lewis's part, too, I assume, with Aslan and, and the Lion of Judah and the biblical overtones, this was perhaps just even coming through his subconscious. Well, I, I, I'm quite convinced it was. Um, mm-hmm. I think there was no time at which I believe Jack sat down and sort, sort of thought, how can I make something Christian? Christian, yes. He just wouldn't have done it. It wasn't, wouldn't be in character with him for children. Uh, he did quite deliberately set out with Perilandra, for example. Mm-hmm. to write some, some educational material, spiritually educational material. And now, that's Christian the uh, science That's in the fiction science fiction trilogy, trilogy yeah. that he wrote as well. Perilander and That Hideous Strength are two of my favorite books in the world, actually. <laughs> that Hideous Strength particularly, because it's such fun. But. You're in L.A., you're going all over the United States, you're talking about the release of this new movie by Disney, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is, of course, part of the series, The Chronicles of Narnia that's by right, yes, C.S. Indeed. Lewis, which yeah. you read as a child before you even, I guess, well, before not Although, I mean, some of them hadn't been published before I met him. It was but, still um, in process. Oh, yeah, still work in progress when I first met him. 
but uh, I had read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and uh, hadn't read to me, of course, those that existed. And I was mm-hmm. going to meet the man who was on speaking terms with High King Peter of Narnia. That was a the pretty great big Aslan. deal. Yeah, I expected him to be wearing silver armor and carrying a sword. Well, even it was even disappointing, you know, because he wasn't, <laughs> you know, stoop, balding, professorial gentleman. And even though we're grown, there still is something. If if you had these books as a child, like mm. like the thrill of my life, just a few weeks ago, being at Wheaton and getting to talk to Chris Mitchell right, and interviewing right. him next to the wardrobe. I mean, that, that's <laughs> well, wait a minute, I have to stop you. Because oh, oh, no, we're going to tell a wardrobe we story well, yeah, here. The point All is, right. there, isn't, there is no the wardrobe. The wardrobe, right. I, I have to right. correct that. Wardrobe yes. did not necessarily stimulate Jack to use a wardrobe. That's right. It was simply a literary device to get children from one world to the other. But that particular wardrobe is interesting because Jack's grandfather handmade that oh. and hand-carved it out of Welsh oak when there were farmers in Wales before the family even moved to Ireland. So when there was really, still timber in Wales, when there was too. Still, yes. Yeah, when there was still timber in Wales. So that is an interesting piece of furniture. Well, it's a beautiful piece of furniture. And you never do know that there might be fawns and things hiding in the back of it. Who knows? That's right. That's right. Well, we're going to have Chris Mitchell on uh, just before the movie good, breaks. Good. Before I ask you about the Chronicles of Narnia, because not everybody's read it, you also have a brand new book out. Mm-hmm. And people can go to haventoday.org. And your book is called Jack's Life. And it is a biography of C.S. Lewis. You're not analyzing his literary <laughs> style. And uh, and you're not looking at him in the traditional biographical way. Your biography is different. Well, you know, uh, when when I was a child w- with Jack, um, he was writing all the time. Mm-hmm. And if he was writing something exciting like a, a new Narnia story or a new fictional story that I might enjoy, he would often read bits of it to me. So I got mm-hmm. quite you know interested. And in the morning, sometimes I would say, you know, Jack, what are you writing today? And he would tell me if it was something exciting, oh, there's, there's this or that or the other thing. Mm-hmm. But if it was something serious and academic... He'd say, oh, just bilge, Doug, just bilge, meaning I wouldn't be interested. Well, all of the biographies of him that I've read are just bilge. Are just bilge. I mean, some are very good in that sense. I mean, the, the, the George Sayer biography, Jack, C.S. Lewis in his time, is a good biography. Yes. And the Walter Hooper Lunson Green biography is a good biography. But they're all analytical and critical and you know all this stuff. And I don't want that. I just so want you wanted to, to write a book about the man. Somebody had to write a book about Jack. Yes. Not C.S. Lewis, the great scholar, and C.S. Lewis, the great writer, and C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, and so forth, but just about Jack, the man. He deserves it. Yes. And so I thought, well, if nobody else is going to do it, I'd better do it myself. And well, Jack's life is my answer to that problem. Thank you for, for doing that. And and you were telling me uh, before we started our program today that even the uh, the pen on the cover here is the pen that he actually wrote with. Well, one of many. One of um, them. But yeah, he, he wrote constantly, always, with a dip pen and a bottle of ink. Never learned to type, did well, he? Well, it's not so much that. I got a feeling that, that, that it actually is advantageous to do it that way. And I'll tell you why. Because you dip your pen in the bottle of ink and you wipe the excess off on the edge of the bottle. And then you write maybe four or five words. Then you have to stop and dip the pen again. Now, in that action of stopping and dipping the pen again, you've got time to think about to those think. four or five words. Are they exactly what I want to say? Have I said exactly that? If not, you start again. The interesting thing about Jack, of course, is by the time I got to know him, he very rarely had to make corrections to his own work. Hmm. He could write flowed. a clear it copy just, just from the, just the beginning flowed. then. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. And and perhaps uh, that says something about those of us who attempt to do writing today and use a computer. Well, I think a dip pen is by far the best way of doing it, quite frankly. But I am too lazy <laughs> to do it that way, and I use a computer like everybody else. Absolutely. But, yes. you know, you were talking about the Narnian Chronicles and the way people look at them and look back at that flash of memory of their childhood, which everybody does. You, you, you think, right. oh, wow, the Narnian Chronicles. Yeah, I remember that. But the point about it is there's so much more depth in C.S. Lewis than just the Narnian Chronicles. That's right, yes. I think people deserve to know who Jack was, and I think Jack deserves people to be told who he was. Well, in, And he led the, a fascinating life. On the academic side, he 
taught at Oxford. He went to Oxford. He was a professor at Cambridge. Mm -hmm. uh, this man was no slouch when it came oh, to true. academics. That's true. I've always heard that uh, because he did things for everyday people. Some of his writing was for the masses. He actually uh, went on the BBC and mm -hmm. talked to the masses as well. That uh, that didn't go down very well in academic <laughs> circles in England. Well, you know, one of the one of the things that people find very hard to forgive one for is being successful, particularly outside one's own field. Mm -hmm. uh, professors and, and dons, uh, that's fellows of colleges at that time at Oxford, for example, were expected to contribute literature on their own special subject. But not in the popular... But not in the popular domain, not, not to popularize. I mean, to take an American example, Isaac Asimov, the writer of science fiction books, famous writer of science yes. fiction books, he was, in fact, a teacher of sciences, chemistry and physics and so forth. And he was the, a man who was able to popularize such things in his textbook writing. And he and wrote about everything. He wrote about everything as well. Yes. But I think he probably encountered the same kind of thing. Oh, come on, you're supposed to be a teacher. Don't mess around with all that science fiction. Well, Jack ran into that to a great extent in Oxford. He was, he was, a much, he was much more man to Jack than ever comes across in his, in his writings even and in, his, in the writings about him. For example, the great movie Shadowlands, which I think is a wonderful film, mm -hmm. yes. depicted him as a closed-in academic person hiding from the world, as it were. And he wasn't that at all, Nothing was he? like that. No, no resemblance to that at all. Um, but, I mean, for dramatic reasons, that was a good, mm -hmm. a good figure to draw, a good character to draw, but it was nothing like the real C.S. Lewis. On the other hand, funnily enough, Deborah Winger, who played my mother mm -hmm. against Tony Hopkins' Jack, found out everything she could about my mother. And, you know, she'd read the books and by my mother and read the books about my mother and talked to me. And you so would say she played did my a mother. good job. She did a wonderful job. Wow. Absolutely fascinating. Wow. It's, it's uncanny how, how well she played that role. Hmm. But uh, so anyway, I felt that there's so much more to Jack than meets the eye that, that, that the world should be told about him. Well, the his, li his life was amazing. The Chronicles of Narnia. We actually do have some of our listeners uh, in Canada, mm -hmm. the United States, or maybe other places who've never read the series. Well, What's shame on the you. whole? <laughs> <laughs> and just asking you to do a soundbite for us isn't going to correct that. But what's the Chronicles of Narnia all about? Paint the picture. The, the Chronicles us. of Narnia are about a world created deliberately, as was this one. And the adventures that happen in that world when children from our world by magic escape from our world into that other world or are sent or called into mm -hmm. that other world. Through a wardrobe. In one case, through a wardrobe. Yes. I think only twice do they get in through the wardrobe. That's true, yes. Uh, one, on one occasion, they go there because one of the wicked uncles comes into the picture and he is a, a peddling, silly, pettifogging little magician who thinks he's found out all about magic. And he accidentally almost manages to make these rings that transport the children to another world. Mm. And how they actually get into Narnia is another part of the story which I won't go into. I'm not going to ruin the story for anybody. But Another occasion they go accidentally almost through a painting which comes alive mm. and they fall into the sea in the painting. There are various different ways one can find oneself transported to Narnia. But in this fantasy land, the important thing about it to me is that the, the great moral and ethical values of the 19th century, which we foolish people threw away in the 20th century, mm. are expounded and exemplified. Such things as chivalry, courage, honor, duty, commitment, responsibility, all of those great values that mankind needs so much in order for our societies to work, mm -hmm. and that the 20th century cast to one side as being outmoded, outdated, and being old-fashioned. We're now groping around blindly trying to find them again, because we need to get them back. We do. I mean, our yes. society is crumbling around us because we've lost them. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and the other Narnian Chronicles, you'll find out these things are exemplified and demonstrated and taught 
so we can go into these great adventure stories, which are great fun to read. Oh, it and is. At the same time, we can learn many of the things that our society so desperately needs to get back. Mm. And so, the movie is true. That's true of the movie, too. The movie, the book, is not Christian per se. But Lewis, there was the time in his life when Jack C.S. Lewis was not a believer. He was an atheist. Yeah, and then he found life, God. Yes. Charles, I think it's a very, very good thing for us that Jack wasn't the writer he became when he was an atheist. Mm. He could have done so much damage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then he would have had to recount it all later anyway. But, um, <laughs> yes, he did become first a theist. And, and that was largely because of the conversations with the guys like Hugo Dyson and, and uh, Ron Tolkien, mm-hmm. who pointed out to him he was quite happy to accept the dying God returning for his people and so on in the myths. But, but was not un- in real life. Un- was uh, reluctant to accept in real life. And Jack had to look at himself very carefully and figure out why this was. And he was a very rational, logical thinking man. Mm-hmm. He thought his way into theism. Mm-hmm. And the, what I think is a lovely, lovely uh, thing that happened to him, is the family had planned an outing to Whipsnade Zoo. And Warney had a motorcycle and sidecar. That's was his Lewis's brother, brother. Yeah. yes. And it was decided that Jack would ride in the sidecar to the zoo while the rest of the family went in the family car that they had in those days with a chauffeur. <laughs> and when Jack climbed into the sidecar at the kilns to leave for Whipsnade Zoo, he did not believe that Jesus Christ was God, the Son of God. When he got out of the sidecar at Whipsnade Zoo, he did. What happened? He could not explain what happened. He could never tell. And he could never fully find words to put into the description of how it happened. He found himself incapable of doing so. I think he was visited by the Holy Spirit during that Mm. trip. The story I was going to tell you was that I always blamed Warney's driving. (laughs) For his coming to faith in Christ. coming to faith in Christ. (laughs) It's very interesting. People think of C.S. Lewis as this giant of a man, and I'll never forget walking into the the Church of England that they attended near the kilns and Mm. and being told... Holy Trinity heading in quarry. Yes, Mm. and being told by the vicar that uh, actually the two were very shy men. They were uh, indeed. They've got a little sign on on one of the pews saying this is where C.S. Lewis sat. That's right. I've never told them, to be honest, but they actually have it in the wrong place. (laughs) Jack sat one pew behind that. I see. Because he always made sure that a pillar of stone was between him and the pulpit. Why was that? The priest at the time there was a man called Ron Head, a great church historian, but a very high churchman. And Jack couldn't stand his sermons. <laughs> and so in order that, 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 uh, that involuntary uh, expressions of distaste would not cross his face and be seen by this man, for he would have hurt him for the world, Jack would hide behind the pillar. Mm. and leave the church as soon as he's had communion you would walk out of the door yes before the end of the final benediction that's right people can go to our website haventoday.org and I might mention something as well you're writing in the uh, December issue of Sacred History magazine yes that's very true we'll have a link there so people can see that as well and and perhaps Sacred History magazine is an important one that people don't know about yet because the Sacred History of Man the history of Christianity and its relationship to the history of man is the trajectory of the mankind's existence from its original conception and creation by God through the whole of time back to Mm -hmm. our eventual dissolution back into God when we go Mm -hmm. to be with Jesus. Where we are on that trajectory is very important to know, and you'll find out if you read Sacred History magazine. Doug Gresham, fundamentalist Christians claim C.S. Lewis as their own. Uh, uh, (laughs) Catholics. So do do Catholics. Orthodox. Baptist. Everyone. I think the Mormons have baptized him in absentia. It's mine. (laughs) Where does Jack Lewis fit? You know, the interesting thing about that is he wrote a book about it called Mere Christianity. Mm -hmm. That's where he fits. Yes. In actual fact, they all say, you know, if if, if Lewis had lived long enough, he would have become one of us. Well, that's nonsense. (laughs) Toward the end of his life, Jack was growing further and further from church as he went closer to Christ. And that's very important. 
-hmm. As we get close enough to Christ, we begin to realize that church itself becomes rather, rather irrelevant. Jack was originally an Anglican. He was an Anglican because he felt it was his duty to be so. But as he was approaching death, and I spent some time with him in his last, mm -hmm. last few days, he was drawing further from all things to do with church and just growing closer and closer to Christ himself. Let's talk about your faith for just a minute. Uh, well, may I cut you off for a second, Charles? Yes, First sure. thing I'd like to tell you or say about this sure. is that I think we use the words faith and faithful very, very loosely in modern society. Mm -hmm. When we talk about a faithful husband, we are not talking about someone who believes in his wife's existence. Right. There's usually pretty good evidence for that every time he wakes up in the morning. What we talk about when we're talking about a faithful husband is a man who lives out his duty to his wife every minute of every day of every week of every year for the rest of his life or her life, whichever happens to come first. Right. When we talk about a faithful Christian or a man of faith, I think that's what we should keep in mind. Mm -hmm. A man of faith is a man who lives out or tries to live out his duty to Christ every minute of every day for the rest of his life. It's as if, I suppose, we commit our lives to Christ and go up and he says, right, you've committed your life to Christ, fine, now I sentence you to the rest of your life doing Christianity. Mm. In fact, don't just talk <laughs> about it, get out there and get her done. Right. Or and the other side, you've got the ticket to heaven, and so don't worry about today. You've got tomorrow taken well, care of. Yeah, yes. that's, that, that, that's I worry other, about that. I the other 180 degrees, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question, Doug, that I ask for a lot of people that are on this program. Um, what does Jesus mean to you? Who is Jesus in your life? I, that, without writing a book, that's a rather difficult I'll question to answer. I'll give you 60 seconds, but 60 no, seconds. no, go ahead. <laughs> Well, Jesus is the person to whom I've handed my life because for many years of my life, I tried to run it myself. Didn't want to submit my life to the authority of anyone but myself. And of course, mm -hmm. when you do that, you are in fact worshiping yourself and anyone who worships themselves has a fool for a God. Mm -hmm. Eventually, I realized I'm not qualified to run a human life. So I handed mm -hmm. over to the one person in existence who is, and that is mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who died to, to pay the penalty for all the things I have done and am doing that mm -hmm. I shouldn't mm -hmm. in my life. And he's therefore earned the right to run my life, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, what is Jesus to me? Jesus is everything. Without him, there is no life. Mm. Without him, there's no point. True. Good point. If Lewis were sitting here today with us, and I asked him the question, what does Jesus mean to you? What do you think Lewis would say? I really cannot answer that question. Um, I think that if Jack were alive today in this world that we have made since his death, I think he'd be pretty convinced that he was dead living in hell. Uh, the idea that Jack could face a world, look at a world in which maybe 60 million children are slaughtered in utero, mm -hmm. their only crime having been their youth. Mm -hmm. We have uh, legalized infanticide on the grounds of the youth of the victim. Mm -hmm. uh, if he could live in a world where people slaughter each other over stupid ideologies, mm -hmm. I think he would think he was dead and living in hell. Wow. Have you ever thought, Charles, that the resurrection may have been far more painful for Jesus than the crucifixion? No, I never have. Think about that. Wow. Think about that. He was here. He lived his 30-odd years here. He was castigated, attacked, mm -hmm. tortured to death in the most agonizing form of torture. And then he went to be with his father in heaven. Mm -hmm. And his father said, sorry, son, I want you to go back. Mm -hmm. Wow to all that all over again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Of course, when he comes the next time, he's coming in power. That's right. That'll be a very the different warrior, return. The warrior but king that first is coming. That That's first right. resurrection, that must have been horrible to have to take. Why don't we do this? 
I don't know where people are coming from and listening to the interviews that we've had with you, but uh, I'd like to ask you to pray for people that are listening to the program. We prayed before we started recording that just God would be glorified in uh, this time we had together. Would you pray for listeners that will never meet? Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, I offer this prayer to you in supplication for all of those people who listen to this program, people whom I will probably never encounter, people who will probably never encounter me, people who may encounter you, and we pray that they will. I pray, Lord, that your words will extend to them. Any wisdom you have said through my lips, go out to them. The folly I have uttered be entirely left to me. I pray, Lord, that you will open hearts and minds. Change those lives that are embittered. Change those lives that are in pain. Seek out those, Lord, with your Holy Spirit, who are hurting right now, and lift them in comfort, away from sorrow and from pain. I pray, Lord, that you will open their minds and hearts to you and to your word, and that they will truly learn to live in joy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Doug Gresham, stepson of the late C.S. Lewis, you have been a real exciting treasure to have on this program. Oh, thank you, Charles. Because you were yourself, and you didn't well, try to be anyone beyond yourself. Oh, that's I, too I, much I, like hard work. Well, I thank you for that. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, and God bless My you. Pleasure. And, and you. Uh, may we all just enjoy The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe that's coming out. Amen. Thank you for joining us on Great Stories with Charles Morris. I had a great lunch with Douglas Gresham. Our entire team did. And then we adjourned to our studio back in 2005. And I hope you enjoyed hearing some of his insights about his stepfather, C.S. Lewis, and the incredible world he created called the Chronicles of Narnia. In fact, I'd like to invite you to get your own CD set in a special edition collector's tin that contains all seven original stories and nearly 22 hours of entertainment. Just come to haventoday.org to make your gift and get your set. And now if you want to hear more content like what you heard on today's episode, why don't you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts? And if you enjoyed this episode, please help us get the word out by leaving a five-star review. You can also go to haventoday.org and sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Mm-hmm.